Take your Bible out this morning. We will continue our study on the conscience. You might say continue. I looked at the title of the sermon. doesn't look like we're continuing at all. It's the same title as last week. That's true. That is true. Wouldn't you know it? I had a whole brand new sermon to prep this week. I got into my study. I started writing. And I realized, well, that's another outline that goes along with last week's sermon, not what you're planning on doing. So I had to change the way I do things. That, that's just how it goes with, um, when you do a topical study. It's one of the, the battles of doing a topical study. When we look at a book of the Bible, we just look at what verse is next. Really, it's quite easy. Sometimes I think that preachers preach through books of the Bible because it's easy. You know what you're going to preach next week. But when you get into topical messages, you're trying to answer the question, what does the Bible say about X? Well, the Bible says a lot, and you have to try to put it together. And um, there are a lot of things that have been written on the conscience, a lot of things that I've benefited from. None of them have said it quite the way that I'm thinking it in my mind. So I'm trying to put some of these things together in my own, my own mind and develop what the Bible says about the conscience as well as develop it for you so that you'll be benefited and blessed. So far in our series, we've, we've been making progress. We've seen what the conscience is. The conscience is that inner impulse to do what we should do. We've seen how the conscience functions. It witnesses for or against. Those were introductory messages. And then from there, we moved on to an evil conscience cleanse. That's the first thing that any person needs. Every person naturally has an evil conscience, and it needs to be cleansed of the evil within, the evil that lies upon the conscience. And the next thing we saw was that we need a good conscience, We have an evil conscience, but by God's grace that is cleansed when we become a Christian. But now as a Christian, we need a good conscience. We looked at two passages along those lines last week. 1 Timothy 1.5 and then Hebrews chapter 5. What's unique about those passages, I, I look back and I always second guess myself. I always wonder if I ought to call the, past, the message a good conscience required. Because when you look at 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul told Timothy that the aim of his preaching was love, which required three things, one of which was a good conscience. Obviously, all of God's people are supposed to love. We have to do that. And one of the important aspects of that is that we have a good conscience, So, is the title, A Good Conscience, Desired, correct? Well, yes, it is, because if it's required, we ought to desire it. That's fair enough. And the same is true when we get to Hebrews chapter 5, because we see in that passage the comparison between the immature and the mature. And the writer says that some of you ought to be further along than you are. You ought to be there. It's as if there is something expected, required. The problem was they didn't have the conscience that 
they needed. They didn't have that mature sense through regular practice of distinguishing good and evil. They weren't regular in being doers of the word. So the writer has to call them to that. It is indeed required, and if it is required, we ought to desire it. We need to have this sense about a good conscience. It's something that you and I need. We absolutely need it. Strangely enough, as we go through the text today, we're going to get a little bit more of that sense of this is something we really ought to want. And we'll do that today together, my dear brothers and sisters, as we consider, as we consider together Hebrews chapter 13 and 1 Peter 3.16. 1 Peter 3.16. Let's pray, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, and ask for God's help. Father, as we go to your word this morning to find light in it, to what you've said and not to what we think. Because we don't believe that by examining our own thoughts, we'll get anywhere that will help us. But instead of, instead of that, examining what you have said, that will help us. You've given us your word, and you've said that it's profitable for us. So we believe that as we go to it this morning. We ask that you would make it profitable for each one of us then in Jesus' name. Amen. Sweet little Susie was excited to be back at school. She missed her friends. She'd been away all summer. As she looked around, she noticed that everyone had got a little bit taller. Everyone had on a new school outfit and new backpacks, and everyone seemed to be so happy to be together again. Yet, sweet little Susie noticed that something had changed. Some boys and girls in her class were acting differently than she remembered. They seemed to be having a great time laughing together. But the problem was that they were laughing at other people. For example, a girl would point at another girl in the room, a boy would say something, and they'd all erupt in laughter. This group had become the cool group of girls and boys. And sweet little Susie wondered about trying to fit in with them. It seemed like it would be fun. They were always laughing. But when she thought about what they were saying about other people, she knew that she had been taught not to talk like that. In our study of the conscience, we have discovered what the conscience is and how it works. The conscience is the inner impulse to do what we should do. And every person made in the image of God has a conscience. And every person's conscience functions the same way. It functions based upon knowledge. Naturally, everyone's conscience is evil because the conscience knows the evil within, and it testifies against a person. We've already learned that the conscience must be cleansed, and it can only be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Good works cannot cleanse the conscience. Only the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers can. Now, last week, we looked at a good conscience. We saw that a good conscience is something that we must desire because it's required. If we are going to develop Christian love, a good conscience is necessary, according to 1 Timothy 1.5. We have to have a good conscience. 
And we saw uniquely that that conscience can only spring from sound doctrine, from sound doctrine. So we drew this point from last week's message that a good conscience is a scripturally informed conscience. Once the conscience is cleansed, it needs to be calibrated by what God has said. So if we want a good conscience, we need to be informed by the Scriptures. We also saw, according to Hebrews chapter 5, that the mark of maturity is a good conscience. A Christian who is growing is going to be a doer of the Word. He will be regularly examining the Word of God, learning from it, and engaging his conscience as what he ought to do, given what God has said. That's in contrast to someone who hears the Word and then goes on doing whatever they want. Someone who goes to church and just goes home. That simple. Is not affected by anything. Is not making any kind of determinations to do what God has said. So we concluded a good conscience is going to result from being a working conscience. The conscience must be put to work. Now today, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's continue to examine a good conscience that we must desire. Specifically, we need to think about our attitude and our actions because we need to have a certain attitude. We need to have certain actions if we're going to have a good conscience. So we'll do it in two points. The first is this. A good conscience arises from your resolve to do what's right. A good conscience arises from your resolve to do what's right. And secondly, a good conscience results from your doing what is right from your walking in the way. So we'll look first at Hebrews chapter 13 this morning, brothers and sisters in the Lord, where we see that a good conscience arises from your resolve to do what is right. We find an illustration in Hebrews chapter 13 where it says this, verse 18, Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience. The word there is a good conscience. Some of your translations read that way. Pray for us. We're sure we have a good conscience because we desire to act honorably in all things. So we have an an example of these who are requesting prayer, that they claim a good conscience because they wanted to live honorably in every way. Now, the conscience... It is that faculty that functions based on knowledge. And the the conscience knows what no one else knows. Say, what's that? Well, the conscience knows what's going on inside of each one of us. The conscience knows what at times is revealed by what we say. You've all heard of the proverbial child who refuses to sit down. He finally does And he says to his parents, I'm sitting down in my body, but I'm standing up in my heart. So what that proverbial child has done is reveal to you what's going on inside. We don't always have that information. Sometimes it comes out. But the conscience knows if there is rebellion taking place on the inside. The conscience knows our hopes and desires and dreams, and it weighs all of them. Consider Laban and his conscience and what he knew. 
He knew that he intended to deceive Jacob, who was interested in his daughter Rachel. You recall how Laban had promised Rachel to Jacob in exchange for seven years of service. And then on the wedding day, Laban gave his daughter Leah to Jacob. Jacob had his own plans. After he became rich, he made plans to flee from Laban. So Jacob's conscience knew about his intention to flee from Laban. And Jacob's conscience knew about his former schemes to steal from his brother. He stole Esau's birthright while he was out hunting. And all of this is to say, it's possible to deceive ourselves, but you cannot deceive your own conscience. The conscience knows the intents and desires of the heart. And a good conscience arises from your desire to do what's right. So you must be resolved to act honorably. We have a clear conscience because we desire to act honorably. That was not the confession of young Jacob, the deceiver, but it was the resolution of others. And the Lord is so wonderful to reveal the thoughts of Bible characters for us to learn from. One young man found himself hundreds of miles away from his homeland and his way of living. He was assigned a new education, diet, and name. And how did young Daniel respond in Babylon? Daniel 1.8 says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Daniel was committed to doing what he thought was right, perhaps in contrast to many of his peers who went along with everything. Daniel had a good conscience because his conscience registered that he was intent upon doing what he knew to be right. He knew that he would be defiled by the food, so he determined not to partake. Contrast the example of Daniel with Jacob, the deceiver. Jacob intended to trick and to take. The book of Proverbs often talks about such people who devise evil, Proverbs 14.22. Among the things the Lord says he expressly hates is a heart that devises wicked plans, chapter 6. There are those who plot and scheme against others, like the two eunuchs who plotted against King Ahasuerus in Esther 2, or the jealous officials who tricked King Darius into making the law that forbid prayer to God in Daniel 6. All this is to show that one cannot scheme and have a good conscience. The conscience witnesses against such intents of the heart. So may we draw instruction from this. If we would have a good conscience, we must not be plotting against others in our hearts. Our conscience won't let that pass. More generally speaking, we must not plan to sin. Imagine the one who attends the Lord's Supper, who examines his heart, finds sin, seeks forgiveness, yet is determined to seek that sin again. If you're sad about a sin of the past, but hesitant to abstain from it in the future, you're not on the right side of the sin yet. In the Lord's Supper, we don't promise sinless perfection in the future, but we also mustn't be making plans to sin in the future either. We need a good conscience that registers that our heart is truly Godward. We must be resolved to act honorably. Also, we must be resolved to act consistently. Hebrews thirteen eighteen says, We have a good conscience because we desire to act honorably in all things. A good conscience cannot be bribed with good deeds. You can't make a deal with your conscience that you will do what is right in most areas, but there's one area that you'd like to retain a bit of personal freedom. The conscience won't make that deal. It won't register good if you're holding something back. 
So for example, the people of Israel were influenced by their pagan neighbors to worship their pagan gods. As you know, many of the kings of Israel raised up altars to pagan gods. According to pagan religion, these gods would guarantee crops and fertility and success. What's the problem with having a couple altars for these gods as an insurance plan, you might ask? Well, God wouldn't allow it. God desired Israel's kings to have a heart like David that was wholly true to the Lord. Sadly, his son didn't have such a heart because 1 Kings 11 says that when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. This became the sad refrain of the kings of God's people. 1 Kings 15, he walked in all the sins of his father before him, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father was. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that a good conscience isn't the result of determining to do what is right most of the time. A good conscience registers when we aren't rebellious and scheming within. A good conscience registers when we have the blessed spirit of Christ which says, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. Brothers and sisters, examine what is your attitude toward doing good and doing evil? Are you scheming like Jacob or resolved like Daniel? Are you partially true to God like the kings of Israel or wholly true like King David? What's in your heart? We have a window into the heart of Daniel, David, Jacob, and others by divine revelation. But only you know what's going on inside. Others can't help because they don't know, so you must examine yourself. A good conscience arises from your resolve to do what is right. That is what we learned first. Second this morning, a good conscience results from your doing what is right. A good conscience results from your doing what is right. It not only knows what you're planning, but it also knows what you're doing. So if you have a good conscience, you need to be living a distinctly Christian life. That's what we learn in 1 Peter 3. I invite you to look with me in 1 Peter 3, verse 16 and 17, where it says, Have a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. See, the context here is suffering for Christ's sake. And the Apostle Peter is calling for a certain kind of conduct which is going to register as a good conscience. If you do these kinds of things, your conscience will commend you. It will be a good conscience. And the reasons why I believe there's a connection between a good conscience and what we do is what it says who revile your good behavior. Good behavior goes with good conscience. Next verse, suffer for doing good. Doing good goes with a good conscience. You see, a way a person lives is very important. And Peter, in particular, in these two epistles, makes that point. He writes these letters so that the Christians are going to persevere in their faith. 1 Peter 5, 12, 2 Peter 1, 12, and 15, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. 
Peter is calling for the perseverance of the saints. And that perseverance in the faith is going to require holiness of life. So 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15 say, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it's written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. So as Christians, we are called to a life of holiness. The book of Hebrews says it so well. Strive for holiness without which no one will see God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. God's people must strive to be holy. And this idea of holiness has positive and negative aspects. On the one hand, we're supposed to be separated from evil. On the other hand, we must be devoted to God. So a good conscience springs from separation from evil. That's the negative aspect of holiness. So if we consider what uh, Peter says in his epistles, we learn this, that we need to put away all kinds of sins. 1 Peter 2.1 says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. If we're going to have a good conscience, certain things can't be in our life. We have to abstain from what wars against us. 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war against our soul. We're supposed to refrain from doing things. We're supposed to refrain from speaking the wrong things. 1 Peter 3.10 and 11, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. So brothers and sisters in the Lord, simply put, if you want to have a good conscience, you can't do as your society is doing. You can't be like everyone else and have a good conscience. Our lives can't be full of complaining. Doesn't that summarize our culture? Everyone's complaining about everything. Your days can't be full of vain pleasures. Isn't that what our society does here in America? We have money for whatever we want, and people spend all their money on pleasures every day. That can't be our life. We are expected, if we're going to have a good conscience, we must do what God wants us to do. We've already learned from the church that's in Pergamum that it is okay for us to serve the Lord where Satan's throne is. It is okay for us to be in the world. It's not okay for us to be of the world. We can't begin to tolerate sin. We can't begin to practice sin and hope that our conscience is going to say, that's fine. It won't. A good conscience, a good conscience springs from separation from evil. That's the negative side of holiness. The positive side is that a good conscience springs from devotion to God. Peter's teaching on holiness is not exhaustive, but just consider what Peter does say in his epistles about Christian conduct and what it ought to be. Our conduct is supposed to be holy. As a Christian, we're supposed to distinctly act Christian. 1 Peter 1.15, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
We have to be honorable. Chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Our conduct needs to be respectful and pure. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, as that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Our conduct has to show that we take God seriously. Chapter 1, verse 17. If you call on him as father who judges impartially, According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. We have to live in such a way that we actually believe there's a God. And we will one day stand before him. We take him seriously. And our conduct needs to show proper submission. There's several examples of this in the book, but I'll go to chapter 2 and see... In chapter 2, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. We have to submit to the government. There needs to be submission between a servant and his master. Verse 18, be subject to your masters with all, res- uh, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle not only to the good and gentle masters, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin, you're beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And what we see as we go through this book of Peter, the letters that Peter wrote, we see that God causes people to persevere. And their conduct is going to be unique. People are going to look at the way Christians act. And they're going to know that's right. They're not doing what's wrong. They're doing what's right. They're not griping. They're not complaining. They're respectful. They're pure. When they think about the societies, uh, structures of society. If a Christian's going to have a good conscience, he has to act in a life that is holy, in a way that's holy. Do you remember sweet little Susie who went back to school? The one who saw her friends talking unkindly about the other kids in the class? She was faced with the decision, well, am I going to laugh along so I can fit in? And am I, am I going to join in the fun and get other people to laugh when I make fun of them? Well, if if she does do that, she's not going to have a good conscience because her conscience is going to testify against her. And, of course, you might think, well, what did little sweet little Susie choose to do? Young people, it's not so important what little Susie chose to do. It's what you choose to do this week when you go back to school. Are you going to act in such a way you're going to have a good conscience or is your conscience going to point the finger at you with what you say and how you act by God's grace we want to have a good conscience that has to do with our attitude what we intend to do and our actions of what we've done 
Father, we ask in these moments that you would examine each one of our hearts, that you would help us to be resolved to do what's right, that we would be doing what's right, that we would be commended by our conscience that we are striving to please you in all that we do. Father, as we consider these things, we know that not a single one of our deeds earns a relationship with you and earns the forgiveness of sins. But you intend us to have the blessing of a good conscience by changing our hearts so that we love you in thought and word and deed. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to desire this kind of good conscience that's committed to walk humbly with you and obediently to your word. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.